0: Today's episode of the Wicked Library is brought to you by Cathedral Sounds, home of composers Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park, composers for award winning films, video games, and digital media. The next time you find yourself in need of a custom score or music for your own project, find them online at www.cathedralsounds.org.
1: The Wicked Library contains adult themes, adult situations, adult language, and graphic depictions of terror, bloodshed, the occasional possession, and your future trips to your psychiatrist, so he or she can assure you it's only a story. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. You've been warned, (laughs) kitties. Hello, kitties. Have a seat and relax. I'm your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of yet hold on to yourselves, boy's and rules. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. Oh, no talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs>
0: A job. The job opening occurred literally overnight. The door at the flash mod opened during the eleven to seven graveyard shift, right around four a.m. Jesse was patiently putting packs of cigarettes into a rack behind a counter. When he turned around, he found a gentleman wearing a ski mask and holding the revolver. For a split second, he wondered why someone would be wearing a ski mask in July. That thought evaporated when the man stuck the gun barrel slowly up Jesse's left nostril. ''Open the safe,'' the man ordered. Jesse finally found his voice. ''I I don't have the combination. Only the owner can open it.'' The gentleman slowly cocked the hammer back and his head to one side. ''Pretty please,'' he hissed. Jesse's eyes rolled back, his bowels released, and he dropped to the floor in a dead faint. Police figured that the gunman must have believed Jesse because he settled for the $217 from the register and three Snickers Boss. Jesse quit immediately after giving the police a detailed description of the navy blue ski mask. He couldn't remember anything else about the man. And that left me without a night cashier and stalker. I hated working the crappy overnight shift when I could be paying someone else to do it. I quickly put an ad in the paper. Mart needs one-night cashier stocker, full-time, Monday through Saturday nights, 11 to 7, equal opportunity employer, $1 more per hour than regular shift. See Vince in person. The ad had been in the paper three days when a tall, blonde man walked in and directly up to me as I was restocking jerky. Excuse me, the man said courteously. I looked over my shoulder to see the tasteful blue sport coat, white shirt, no tie, shine shoes, and immediately felt impressed.
2: I believe you are the manager and owner of
0: this establishment, yes? I knew everyone in Rock Creek, but this man was a stranger to me. How was he so certain I was the manager? I detected a slight accent, but I couldn't place where it came from. Yeah, it's mine, I replied. For better or worse, the man cocked a single eyebrow up and
2: smiled warmly. I'm here to interview for the job opening. Since
0: the ad hit the paper, the only ones applying for the job were either potheads with their dilated eyes transfixed on the snack aisle, or leather-jacketed drunks with purple-haired mohawks and copious facial piercings, whose favorite questions seemed to be a slack-jawed, Huh? Not that Jesse was the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he was a hard worker, and he never bitched about the hours. I didn't smell either booze or weed on his breath, so I handed him an application to fill out. The man reached into his inside pocket, whipped out a sparkling gold pen, and took the form. I watched him retreat to the back of the store, and before I could say Charlie Manson, the guy was back at the counter flashing a smooth, greasy smile. I suspected this guy was used to wheeling and dealing and having his own way. Mona, the plump, pimply-faced 20-something cashier I had boinked until she had asked for a raise, stood stock still and stared gooey-eyed at the handsome stranger. Her jaw dropped a little. Mona. Nothing. Mona. Still no response. Mona! She snapped out of a little trance. Uh huh, she said, almost intelligently. Watch the cash register while I talk to Golden Boy here. Oh, okay, she said, barely able to tear her eyes from the guy long enough to waddle a weeble like figure behind the counter. I led the stranger into the stockroom, pulled up a milk crate, and sat. I nodded for the man to do the same. He sat carefully, taking care to adjust his shirt sleeves from the expensive sport coat. I looked at the application. Already suspecting I had a nutcase on my hands. I looked up and tried to smile, but my face felt like my lips were more crescent roll shaped than offering any true smile. All right, wise guy, what gives? I asked. The blonde man smiled easily, showing rows of perfect white teeth. My application, he said simply. I blinked, reread the application information. It says Lucifer. Yes. Your name is Lucifer.
2: Yes, it is. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Alias Satan, right?
2: Yes. Is there a problem?
0: The previous two days had finally gotten to me. All the applicants before this guy made the bottom of the barrel look like water for crystal. Now this guy walks in and creates a third category to add. Druggy. Drunk. And now batshit crazy. Okay, what's your deal? Being Prince of Darkness doesn't pay enough or something? The man chuckled softly.
2: (laughs) I can understand your doubt. You're not accustomed to being confronted with a supernatural being of my... magnitude.
0: He punctuated this statement with a haughty little nod. Especially not one asking for a $10 an hour job selling gas and bean dip.
2: Let me explain,
0: the stranger said, leaning in a little.
2: I'm afraid my whole existence has become rather tedious. I've spent countless eons battling the forces of good. Now all I want to do is spend a little time doing something mindless and mundane, and not diabolical. To be perfectly honest, evil can be very boring, strange as that sounds.
0: I don't know how long I stared blankly at the stranger before I realized I was as slack-jawed as Mona had been. Not because he was gorgeous. I simply could not believe what I was hearing. This guy actually believed he was the devil. The application was written in the most perfect handwriting I had ever seen. Even the ink appeared luminescent. Most boxes were filled in with not applicable. Under past work experience, the guy had written, Tempting all souls to eternal damnation den, lust, greed, wrath, sloth, pride, envy, and gluttony. I had to hand it to the guy. Impeccable experience for running a mini-market. Under references, the guy had written, God. As for how to get hold of God, he had answered the word, Prayer, with a question mark afterwards. At least this loon had a sense of humor. Beyond all this guy's weirdness, he did seem to want the job, and, for some reason, I trusted him not to meteor away with the money from the teal. I had to work some issues out, though. If I hire you, how am I supposed to work your paycheck anyway? I mean, you don't have a social security number on here or anything, and I doubt you've ever found a tax return. The guy looked like he was somberly mulling over the problem, and said,
2: That, of course, is a serious consideration. I suggest I use a pseudonym with a social security number of my own choosing."
0: "'Sounds okay, I guess,' I said, a bit skeptically. Last thing I wanted was the IRS knocking on my door. What name do you want to use, then?' "'Um, let's see,' the guy said, his brow wrinkled in deep thought. A slight smirk crossed his lips.
2: "'How about William? William Z. Bubb?'
0: William started working that very night. I had doubts about hiring an obvious nutcase for the night manager, but fuck it. I threw caution to the wind. The worst thing that could happen was he wouldn't last more than a night or two. But what the hell? If it worked out, then great. I had a nut for a night cashier. I figured someone had to be a little crazy to work that shift anyhow. William picked up the knack of running the register, stocking the shelves and coolers, and not losing cells at the gas pumps pretty quickly. After only three nights, he was ready to start by himself. I was pleased. Plus, William seemed to be a truly nice guy. Eh, maybe a bit too self-assured for my taste in convenience store employees, but he was easy to get along with and he had a great sense of humor. William was a model worker and very good at his job. Over the training nights, I consciously kept our conversation strictly about the store In the procedures, sticking only to his responsibilities. I didn't really want to discuss his assertion that he was the devil. Three weeks passed by, seemingly without a hitch. I even stopped fretting about the whole Satan thing. But I gradually began to notice some odd things happening around the store. Nothing I could really put my finger on, of course. Things like why the air conditioning bill was going through the roof. Or how beer sales doubled, or how Mona's complexion abruptly cleared up. The clincher that things were not quite business as usual it was the morning I rang out the Methodist minister's purchase of the latest issue of Big Beautiful Butts. The store's clientele had changed drastically as well. There were more Hells Angels in the store in the past month than I had seen in the entire 10 years I'd owned the store. I saw everyone from wild-eyed weirdos cursing in monotone to super stuffy executive types. I had to double my cigarette order and it seemed I couldn't keep rolling papers in stock. Business was different, but business was good. Another thing I could not argue with was the way Williams seemed to get all the stock feeling done every night no matter how busy the previous night had been. There were mornings I came in a little early to find the floor spotless and shiny and the shelves all full and impeccably straightened. And I would catch a whiff of something heavy and bitter in the air. It reminded me of rotten eggs. Finally, I had to ask him what was going on. I didn't need any trouble with the county health inspector. Hey, William, don't think I'm complaining. But how the hell do you get the shelf stocked every night? William looked at me and smiled.
2: I'm the devil, remember?
0: Yeah, right. I forgot. I lied. Uh, What the hell is that god-awful smell every morning?
2: Ever smell sulfur and
0: brimstone? I guess I have now. I rubbed my chin and wondered what I'd gotten myself into. William shrugged on his immaculately pressed sport coat and cheerfully turned to wave goodbye, peering over the top of his Prada sunglasses. I waved back, then told Mona to take the register for a while. As soon as the door closed behind William, I was there. I figured I would follow him home at a discreet distance, just to see where he lived. I was pretty certain William's home address could not have been the ninth circle of hell like he claimed on his application. I saw William's fancy coat turn the corner and sprinted after him. I reached the same corner in seconds, but saw nothing except an empty parking lot of the meat packing place next door. William had vanished, gone. No human could have run off that fast. I just stood there for a few moments, suddenly feeling very, very cold, aching for both a cigarette and a stiff drink for the first time in three years. I recognized the smell of sulfur. That evening, William came into the store just as Mikey, the nerdy college kid, started his shift for William's usual night off. I was startled, even maybe a little rattled, to see him so soon. Hey, boss man. William approached me cheerfully, almost dancing his way across the floor.
2: How about you and me going out in the town tonight?
0: I was positively floored. Nobody had asked me to go out partying in a good six years. Ever since Margaret divorced me, all I typically had to go home to was a microwave dinner and professional wrestling on television. And that was a good night. Sure, I said without hesitation. William was more than a little strange, but he was undeniably likable. By this time, I had pretty much convinced myself that William's disappearing act that morning had never happened. I followed William out the door. Want to take my car? I pointed to my dark brown four-door 1998 Chevy Cavalier. I like to refer to it as vintage. Nah, William replied. Let's use mine, gesturing to the champagne-toned driving machine just behind me. All I had ever seen William do was walk to work. He'd never mentioned that he'd even owned a car, much less a fucking Jaguar. I melted into the creamy leather passenger seat. I never knew this kind of comfort existed. This car made my calf look like a turd on bald tires, which it was. William drove us to Chesbro, to an upscale place called Harmonies. To me, it was the ritziest restaurant I'd ever seen. I silently worried about having enough credit on my Visa card to cover my tab, absentmindedly placing my hand over my wallet in my back pocket. Almost intuitively, William told me to put my wallet away, assuring me that the night was on him. As we left... William laid down a wad of bills on the table for the tip. It looked like more than he had earned in a week at the store. The next stop was an exclusive club on the south side called Inferno, the kind where you have to stand in a rope line and the bouncers let the hottest chicks get in first. William led me straight up to the bouncer. Not one word was spoken. The huge guy opened the door for us, leaving the rest of the crowd in line. Cursing the bejesus out of us. Within less than five minutes, William had successfully picked up a couple of young things that looked barely old enough to spit out their bubble gum and drove us all back to his house. I didn't know much about houses, especially those on Chessbro's exclusive east side, but I knew a mansion when I saw one. A real estate sign in the sprawling front yard said, Sold. I wondered if William had just bought it or sold it. I didn't have the attention span to ask. The girl hanging on to me like bond cement was giving me a lap dance in the back seat. William parked the jag in front of the columned entrance and let us all inside. And the wild night went on. And on. And on. Early the next morning, I felt the bed move as Rainbow and Sissy dressed hastily, whispering to each other. I kept still until I heard the door close. Cautiously, I cocked an eye open just to be sure they were gone. Morning after, sayonaris were never my strong suit. With a pounding headache, I rolled over and went back to sleep. I finally woke up around midday. William was nowhere to be found. So, I helped myself to some leftover pizza I found in the fridge, threw my wrinkled clothes on, and took a cab back to my place at Factory Grounds Apartments in Rock Creek. I didn't even mind paying the $30 for the fare. It had been worth every cent. I cleaned myself up and went to work, not giving a shit I was 10 hours late. William came in at the beginning of his scheduled shift, just like always. He smiled, walked up to me, and took off his shades.
2: Sorry, boss man, he said,
0: wearing his now familiar greasy grin.
2: I think it's time for me to move on. I gotta get back to hell. My stomach
0: dropped ten floors. What? You're quitting? William nodded, replaced his shades. You can't give me two weeks'
2: notice or something? Sorry. You of all people must know how it is. The boss goes away for a little vacation, and all the little workers start goofing off. Some of my demons need a little renewed motivation.
0: Oh man, I wish you'd reconsider. You were the best employee I ever had. Hell, you were better than me. You were never a penny off in your register, and you always kept the stock filled. Not to mention the best party I had ever socialized with, and I genuinely liked them. William chuckled lightly.
2: Hmm, let me tell you a little secret. I cheated. I had some of my lesser demons stock the shelves every night. That was the smell you caught when you came in every morning.
0: I shook my head, dismayed. I was losing the best employee I ever had. And I was past caring that he was Satan. I wish there was something I could say to get you to stay, I said slowly. I felt awful. I really liked this guy even if he was the dark one. Business had never been better. He was always pleasant to the customers, and I never had to ball him out for stealing girly magazines. I hated to see him go. William patted my shoulder comfortingly.
2: Hey, come on, boss man, don't be sad. Someone will come along,
0: he said with a knowing wink and a grin.
2: I promise.
0: I felt a cavern open up within. I was... More than losing an employee, I thought I was losing a friend. My best friend. I hadn't had a friendship like this since grade school. Maybe ever. Will I ever see you again, William? I mean, after I die. I hated that there was a hint of desperation in my voice. William's face clouded over a bit.
2: No, no, I'm afraid not. seem to recall that you're slated to go on to heaven.
0: He looked into my eyes with great kindness. It's really too bad. Heaven? Really? I said. That really sucked. Eh, Just what I wanted to do. Go to heaven and be Chuck Berry on the hop. Shit. I looked back up at him. Hey, tell me something. What's hell really like? William shrugged.
2: It's not unlike running the store, actually. You've got to push. Gotta kick ass a lot. You've got to be a major prick.
0: I could do that. I said, hopefully. Hell, I had been doing that for years. You are pretty good at it. William agreed, nodding. How about it? You got a place for me? I could help run things. I'd be your best employee. Honest, just like you were my best employee.
2: Well, I suppose you could renounce your place in heaven. And I think I could really use you. You seem to have lots of... He paused, pursing his lips, searching for the right words of interpersonal acumen.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it'll be great. We'll have loads of left for all the time we're doing it, too. William reached into his pocket, pulled out what appeared to be a plain blank piece of paper. He spread it out on the potato chip box in front of me. He handed me the same beautiful gold pen he'd used the day we first met. Just sign here. There was an unexpected weight to it. And it felt perfect in my hands as I scrawled my signature. In that instant, it all hit me. Everyone has their job. Stay tuned for a short Q&A with the author in just a moment. Today's episode featured a story by T.D. Trask. A job's a job. If you'd like more information on T.D. Trask and his work, check the show notes for links to his Amazon page. You can also find him on Facebook and on Twitter at T.D. Trask. Don't forget to visit our sponsors, Shadows at the Door.com, Rickert and Beagle Books, HorrorMade.com, SanitaryMagazine.com, and more. Check the show notes for links to all our great sponsors. Please share the terror. Share the show and help us grow. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Ratings are free, and they mean a lot to us. Follow us on Twitter, at Wicked Library. Find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or Google, wherever. We're everywhere. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to get great prizes, bonus content, and more. You can sign up at wickedlibrary.com. You can also pick up your Wicked gear over there. Pick up a great T-shirt with the Wicked Library logo. That is, of course, another great way that you can support the show and show that you appreciate all the work and time we put into creating this great content for you. Also, don't forget our sister podcast, The Lift, starring Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes, and the creepy building and the creepy elevator that uh, is in her building is now in iTunes. So you can head on over to iTunes and give a listen to that show. We really appreciate your support. And now, T.D. Trask. So today, my guest is Terry Trask, or as he's published, TD Trask, and we did uh, your story, "A Job's a Job" today, and that was a lot of fun. It's a, it's a fun little story, and you know what I liked about it is not only that you know there's some humor involved there, there's there's some devious stuff going on, and, and the end of the story is obviously the wicked twist that we would expect to get from the devil himself.
3: I, I actually wrote the first draft of the story back about 20 years ago. Wow! And um, and when it's it's now included in uh, uh, our anthology. I, I with my co-author Dale Elster, we did a, a, a an anthology called Deadsville, and it's in the middle of the all of the stories in there. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but um, uh, all the other stories are, are really, really kind of dark, even though there's some elements of humor in, into them. So we had to have something that. Was a little bit later, and I said, "Hey, how about this one?" So we kind of, you know, we kind of stuck it in the middle to, ten, to try to lighten it up just a just a little bit, just for a short amount of time. Every time I read the story aloud to audiences, um, it gets a really good reception. So I I, I figured that that would be a, a safe one to uh, to uh, to use as a as the latest piece. Excellent.
0: Yeah, it's it's nice to have kind of a break there because whenever you have. Uh, a lot of things that are pretty heavy and dark to to have a little bit of a break. It 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 kind of pulls you back in yeah. when you get to the other dark pieces again, you know. And it was a lot of
3: fun to write too. I mean, it, I mean, um, I I a lot of times when I write a story, I, I have a pretty good idea where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And with that one, um, I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to go with it, but it just seemed to work out just fine. Um, I, it, I I really enjoyed writing it, and people seem to enjoy uh, listening to it, so.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting that that stories will work that way. I mean, sometimes I don't know about for you, but for me, sometimes I know what the ending is, and it's yeah. a matter of how do I get there. Uh, But other times, it's kind of you know I have a general idea, and it's along for the ride. Or even more interesting is sometimes where I think I know it's going to go this way, and something happens along the way, and it it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, the the final destination has changed
3: during yeah, the course I, of the story. Yeah, I mean, I I just finished a. a a, a draft of a story, um, called bus 1305. And in, in that one, I knew how it was going to start. And I knew what the last lines were going to be uh-huh. going from that beginning point to the, um, to the, to the last lines. It was a fun ride. And, yeah. um, and I, um, I, I one, I've got to get back to it in a, probably a few days. I, I like to let things kind of set. Uh, after I I do a, a a draft, and then I take a fresh look at it and say, "Well, this needs fixing. This needs fixing. This needs fixing." Yeah. And, and then then I then I finally hand it over to my editor, and she usually she and I usually bicker over <laughs> over things. <going> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and more often times than not, she's right. So you know, I I, I have to always give her that. <laughs> <much sense. laughs> yeah i i, I had um, I had my co-author, uh Dale. Uh, who is a terrific writer in his own right? He wanted to have a little bit more elements of actual horror in, in the in the actual story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I I tried looking at it and I and I looked at it and I looked at it and I said, no, no, it's not really made to be that kind of story. It's more to be something that's kind of light, but kind of hangs with you after you get done reading it. Like, oh yeah, that's what's going on with it. And yeah, and I, I kind of like that ambiguity at the end of it.
0: Yeah, I mean there's there's so many different subgenres and so many different ways you can go with horror. And you know, the story while it's light, I mean, I think that that almost makes it more horrifying because yeah. there's something very very dark going on in the background the entire time and the devil manages to charm you through the whole process. That's yeah. to me more terrifying.
3: And not only that, I wanted to um to kind of have people kind of wonder why would the devil actually himself go to to recruit somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted I wanted people to, to kind of think about that. Yeah. And you know, and and, and the, at the end of the story, you you do kind of figure it out that right. it's because he has a special place for this guy. So right. it's it, and that to me is like it's it's horrifying and the whor- it's really horrifying to me to think that this guy would happily give it all up, you know, up you know, his place in heaven to to be in hell. Yeah. It, that just it just blows me away, and you know, when I think about doing something like that, I just can't imagine it right,
0: and I mean you know that's that's one of the things one of the touchstones for me whenever I try to look for stories for the show is I, I try to look for something that is that I could truly define as wicked about the story, you know, hence the name of the, the show, the wicked library. Sure. Um, and, and there there is something very wicked about the way that that story is built and structured and, and what occurs in that story. So, you know, I thought even though it's, it's fun and it's light and, you know, we all like to laugh and have fun. There's something that's definitely dark going on there.
3: And I wanted people to, to kind of start thinking, well, you know, this isn't really that happy of a story when you, when you get it right down to it. It's really a, a pretty horrifying thing yeah um so I, I i i enjoyed writing it i enjoy writing all the time um if i don't write i'm not happy so yeah. you know I, and I, I i like writing the lighter stuff I like writing the really heavy uh dark and deep uh, swampy kind of you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but um but uh, th- this was more of more of a, a joy to write than than a lot of the other stories. I, I've written, uh, the, in, I'm doing an anthology right now. I've got a couple, three stories uh, that are done in it uh, already. And the first one, it's called A <clears throat> Banquet of Souls. And this is one of the most disturbing and dark stories that I've ever written. And it stayed with me so long, I couldn't write for about three days after that.
1: Wow.
3: <laughs> and, the, and it was it was that disturbing to me. And and I, I had my, my uh, editor take a quick, Gander at it, and she said, What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> so, no, and, and my next anthology is going to be, um, be, it's going to have, I'm going, going to try to have some lighter stuff as well as the really dark stuff in it, yeah. too. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to completing that. But uh, it, it, as I said, uh, this was, this story is in the middle of Deadsville, um, and I really. I enjoyed every story in the, in the whole anthology, um, writing it. Some of the stories were written, uh, years ago. Uh, uh, the bulk of them were written within the last few years. Yeah. So, um, and I, I brought Dale on board with it and he, he did a wonderful job. He's, he's done most of the marketing for it. And, uh, uh, he's also done, he's done, he did half the stories in the, in the anthology. And oh. we've gotten some really great reviews on Amazon. If you, you know, check that out, it, it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of, I'm kind of makes me blush. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I read some of them all. So he's, yeah, that's nice. You know, thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice when you make something that, that resonates with,
3: with other folks. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the story that, that, that we did for this was were, we're kind of more of a throwback to the old '80s style horror mm-hmm. that you used to find in the in the in the in like the drugstores drug and like that. Yeah. And and it's this fit right in with it, uh, even though it was the latest of, of the bunch. Yeah. It fit and it it seems to uh, like you said resonate with with people uh, because of that. It's one of the favorite stories out of the book uh, for most for the most part. Um, there's some other ones that are really, really disturbing in the, in the book also. So, uh, but, but this one, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I have a, a warm place in my heart for humor. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you, it's, it's pretty easy to make somebody feel bad, you know? Right. But it's more gratifying to make
0: someone laugh. Just like with horror, there's different types of humor as well. But it's it's one of the hardest things, I think, to to capture.
3: Exactly, exactly. And it, and, and and coupling that with horror, sometimes it works, and sometimes it just makes it into a farce. And yeah. you know, it, and I when I when I wrote this story, I didn't want it to be a farce. I wanted it to be kind of like have some weight to it, but not be, have be so weighty that people would say. Ah, oh, geez, you know this is uh, oh god, you know <laughs> I, I didn't want that. I wanted people to get to, to sneak up on, just like the devil sneaks up on the, on right. this poor guy, exactly. Uh, and 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 you know he's charming and he's uh, you know he he's complimentary of uh, everything that the guy does and and he comes just comes, comes across as a decent person, right? And and it and so he's he's kind of taken in. Yeah, it's and the it's great the, deception there. there. Yep.
0: So I wanted to ask you about some of your writing routines and are any uh favorite rituals that you have to kind of get you into that zone?
3: Yeah, I I get up early in the morning. I mean, early by I mean 4:30 in the morning and I do my writing then. Because I got to get it done so I can go on with the rest of my day, all yeah. my other responsibilities. Um and I try to write um every day unless I'm really blocked like after the the first story I did for the uh, Bank of the Souls. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I, mean, I basically when I'm blocked, I just sit and stare at the blank piece of paper until I get pissed off enough. I, I just say, all right. All right. I'm going to start. I'm going to start writing and we're going to, you know, push through this. And I start writing it. Usually it ends up being garbage, you know, so I I just have to kind of throw a lot of it away. But after I get into the habit of writing it again, it, it kind of falls back into place. And the, 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 those stories are really the ones that that. um I I have tr- more trouble fixing, like like bus thirteen oh five, the last one I did, it was like, I started writing it, and I knew where I was going with it, and and for some reason everything worked out, uh-huh. and then and I've had other stories, that, oh my God, I've been, you know, floundering with it and pushing through it, pushing through it, pushing through it. Pushing through it. Um, there's been a couple of times when, um, when I've kind of given up on stories because they just weren't working. Yeah. Um, but, uh, my, I try to write every day, uh, at least, at least an hour, hour and a half a day. And it, I'll tell you by eight thirty at night, I'm usually pretty pushed it by the end of the day. So. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> so I can
0: I, understand that.
3: So I, I just, I, I, that's, that's what I try to do. And I always try to keep in mind that uh, when I'm when I'm writing, uh, I know that I'm I'm happier when I'm writing and yeah. uh, it and because I enjoy it. I enjoy the feeling it gives me. Uh, I, I, I totally love it when somebody enjoys the work. Um, I, I mean, and I, I've told my my co-author for Desville Dale um, more than once. I said, you know, it's sometimes it's the story that picks you and it it's the right story for you to write. And so it's almost like the story has its life of its own and it kind of grabs you and say, okay, now write me. And it's kind of a weird feeling when, when something like that happens.
0: Oh, I can totally identify with that. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's the character that, that grabs you too. And, um, and I mean, I have a couple of characters, one, one in particular that, that I write and, uh, when i write her it's it's basically like i'm taking dictation sometimes it's it's trying to get it down quick enough before it goes mm-hmm. away or i'll write something and i can almost clearly hear her saying no that's not how i'd say it you need to reword that i want it to say sure. this you know so it's that's the fun thing that that folks that don't write don't get you know that two things really first that most of what you write is not worth being shared because yeah. you know, yeah, it's kind of like you're pouring all this stuff out, and you have to dig through it to get the good stuff. Exactly. Um, and and second, just the the sheer joy of when a story or a character surprises you and does something that you're not expecting them to do, or when they kind of take on a life of their own.
3: Yeah, exactly. And and the th- one of the things that that I kind of always find surprising is once when somebody dies in one of my stories and I didn't expect it, and oh, I'm writing yeah. it, and I'm going. Oh man. Oh no. This is, oh my, oh my God. No. <laughs> I had plans for this guy. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's, yeah. there's just the way life goes. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's what happens in real life is that people all of a sudden will be killed or die or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's just the way it is. And it's, it's, I, I work a lot out on my characters because I, I think that, uh, unless the story has some, some characters you can identify with and can, can say they aren't totally despicable, you know, that they, or they aren't totally heroic. Uh, I like my heroes to be a little salty and a little bit kind of like they aren't perfect. And right. and I think that they make the the most interesting characters to, to, uh, to work with.
0: Absolutely. So how do you fill your well? Um, what, what, what do you like to read uh, to, to kind of inspire you and to, uh,
3: keep you in the writing mode um i i read a lot of the uh, paranormal um uh, material back in the back in the 70s and 80s i bought every book out there on paranormal and ghosts and you mm-hmm. know monsters and ufos and all of that stuff and i would i would read voraciously um uh, and i still do and i but except i do it on online you know mm-hmm. with all the blogs and and like that that uh, the websites that are out there that uh, do it uh and a lot of times you know you'll get a little snippet of a of a news story or a little bit that oh wait you know that could be an interesting story if you just do this and do do this and do this it's like you're taking it from uh, some well i don't know if it's real or not but, but you're taking it from something Mm-hmm. and you're changing it and you're making it into something that can be entertaining. And I, I, I do that with everything. I'll be, I'll be walking along uh, or I'll be driving on the road and I'll hear something on the radio. And I, and I think to myself, that that's cool. You yeah. Know, that, could, that could be a story, you know? <laughs> that's and, right. and, and it's weird because I, uh, my wife, she, she says, uh, Oh, you should write him down. I said, it doesn't work for me that way. For me, I get an idea and if I, if I write it down, I never look at at the paper ever again. Uh, Okay. And, but if, if the idea comes back to me again and again and again, that's how I know it's something that I got to write. And it's, it's a weird thing. I can't speak for other writers out there, but with me, I'm just kind of a difficult SOB to deal with. And, (laughs) um, you know, with my writing and uh I, I write fast mm-hmm. and then I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and polish and polish and polish and then I send it to my editor and, and she usually says, No, you're doing this, you gotta do this. And you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. You know? but, you know, but the thing is, is that the the first draft is only the first draft. And right. it's it's the basement variety garbage that you usually find it on the internet now you know, that's that's poorly written and it's, you know, you, it's, it needs work. right? And so you go through and you rewrite it, you set it down and get read, read it for a day or so, you look at it again, you rewrite it again, <coughs> excuse me, and um, by the time you're all done, it's all said and done, uh, you look at it and you say, that's pretty good. And then it comes to the point where you're polishing it, you're polishing it, you're changing things, you're making sure everything's all perfect, until it comes to the point that you get to really hate doing the story. <laughs> it, 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 it literally means yeah. it, you really, you literally say, "I can't look at this again." Yeah. Then, and that's when I know I'm done with it. Because if I look at it again, I'll I'll just I'll explode. You know what I'm <laughs> so I, that's that's normally what I do. <clears throat>
0: Excuse me. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I mean, it's 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 interesting because uh, you know, in talking to the authors and talking to the writers that we we do stories for on the show, everybody has variants of of basic techniques and what works for them. and And I think that's really one of the fun things about doing these interviews because there are a lot of aspiring writers that listen to the show, and um, you know, in in current writers too that are like, well, what can I do to make my work better? Um, and I think that it's 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 fun to get everybody's different techniques because not everything is going. Going to work for each person, but if I can grab a piece from what you do and a piece from what this guy does and a piece from what this lady does and and that and meld them together, you know, then I find a technique that works for me. So sometimes it's just that one little tip, and you are like, you know what, that would work for me, Um, right?
3: That's that's it. I mean, um, I when when somebody asks me, uh, you know, how I write stuff, you know, I I really feel like, well this is how I do it, but that isn't necessarily how everybody else does it. You right. Know? And it's, a, it's a very personal thing. It's just like, uh, when the, when something paranormal happens, it's, that's a very personal thing. And uh-huh. uh, when, when, when something, uh, that's a little weird happens and it happens to you or it happens to the character. And it's a, it, it's always, it's always felt on a very deep level yeah. within the person. And I, it's the same way with, with uh, When I do my writing is that sometimes I, I, I just don't know why I do it. I, I really don't. I just – that I'm happier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's something that you have to do. So where yeah. can folks uh, find your work and connect with you? And, and, and maybe uh, let me know what, what some projects are that you have coming up that fe- uh, folks can look okay. out for.
3: Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at TD Trask. Um, I'm on Facebook uh it's that that's pretty easy to find me there too okay um and um you can find my work on i have a couple of ebooks out uh still waters and and legend of the tiger uh which don't have the strength of uh editing that the that deadsville does but deadsville is out and uh, since uh since september um and that's uh all those can be found on uh, it, like Nook and Smashwords and and Amazon and and like that. Okay. Um. It, I I've been I've been going through uh, through Amazon because I like the the way that they have things set up. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally enamored with the way that they do things sometimes because they ch- kind of changed the way that you can give uh, reviews all of a sudden. And it's, it all of a sudden people who want to leave reviews contact me, say, why can't I leave a review? I said, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to do with Amazon. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, I, I recommend it, it. If anyone's interested in, in, uh, reading some of the, some of the stuff that I've done, you can go to, you know, look out on Barnes and Noble or Smashwords or Amazon and, and you'll find it. You Excellent. Know? Yeah, and I'll have
0: links to your stuff in the show notes as well, so folks can head on over to the show notes for this episode. So, what do you have in store for us next? What's coming up after uh, Dead Zones? The the most recent, I guess, right?
3: Yeah, that's the most recent. I've got a a, a novel that um, that's in the editing process right now called The Callers, and that takes place in the same town that uh, the anthology uh, Deadsville has. Uh, it takes place in it's called a small town called Rock Creek, New York. Okay. Is- in upstate new york <clears throat> gotcha and um the uh the callers takes place in 1968 where the vietnam vet, who, vet who's uh, who's come back from the war uh minus a foot from a horrific thing that happened to him over there uh-huh. and he says pd uh pdsd <clears throat> excuse me um he's he's got he's kind of shell shocked and he just is hard, having a tough time fitting into, into society. Mm-hmm. He basically is, uh, is, uh, it, it, it starts out sounding like kind of a, a haunted house story because it takes place in a gigantic mansion on that's nearby the rock Creek, but it really isn't. It's more about, about a haunted man and uh, how the past kind of catches up with him. Uh, and okay. it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, um, it's. It, I've. I've never really seen a story that's quite like this, and I. I'm kind of proud of it. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to get. Uh, get it edited and ready to roll um, sometime later in the next six months. I hope, uh, but my editor takes some time. Um, yeah. But uh, the and I'm also working on that anthology, uh, the short story anthology, um, uh, "Banquet of Souls." And, um, I'm hoping to have about 20 stories ready done to, you know, by the end of the year, um, for, to, ready to roll for that too. Excellent. Uh, and beyond that, um, I, I have plans for other novels, um, using a character out of The Callers. And, um, and I've got some, some ideas for her place in, in the, the scheme of, of what happens in paranormal in the paranormal way that things happen gotcha. and she's basically fight, fighting the the evil that that's kind of you know kind of following her around because of what happened in the very first novel i got you excellent so that's that's pretty much what i've, what I've got going right now well very cool
0: yeah i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and uh, you
3: having me. this has been a great talk i, I mean it's just been easy
0: well, thanks again. Uh, we'll definitely look forward to having you back on the show again in the future. And be uh, wonderful. best of luck to you with the with the Thank new you. novel.
3: Thank you very much.
0: All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic reading performed by Daniel Foytek. That's me. The voice of the librarian and the voice of Lucifer was performed by Nelson W. Piles. How appropriate. The Wicked Library theme was written by Anthony Rousek and performed by Novus. All other music used in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and used with his permission. Check the show notes for titles and credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, NinthStory.com. Producer, Daniel Foytek executive producer and creator nelson w piles full show notes with links and artwork can be found at www.thewickedlibrary.com forward slash 619 until next time this has been daniel foitek go ahead leave the lights on it makes it easier to read the contract you're signing